0: The score! score
2: Matt Bowen. Two throws. This one aired out for Galloway, and with contact, is picked off, intercepted by Matt Bowen. NFL writer and analyst for ESPN. The ball came out. Right now, they're calling fumble. Matt Bowen knocked it out. Seven-year NFL veteran.
3: We talked about it last week a little bit, more You know, Dan was on vacation and all that. But uh, when you were there last week working, we talked about how. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Fight me, Bowen.
2: <laughs> Defensive back coach for IC Catholic football.
3: One of the greatest things and the most rewarding things about being a high school coach is to see the impact it can have on your student-athletes.
2: Matt Bowen with Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. Let All Matt right. Bowen talk. All Shut right. up.
4: Might be the best football weekend of the year if you're an NFL fan. And Matt Bowen is here to get you ready for it. He joins us on the Circus Sports Illinois Score Hotline. Matt, we got two really good games here with all kinds of storylines. What are you most excited to see?
3: I think I'm most excited to see is Patrick Mahomes versus the Ravens defense. And the reason I say that, not so much about scheme, But if you watch them on defense, they are the most fundamentally sound defense I've seen this year on tape. Alignment and assignment, tackling, speed to the football, the ability to take the football away, and also the ability to create pressure. I want to see Mahomes in that matchup.
1: What have you thought of the job that Todd Munkin has done with Lamar Jackson? What elements of their offense looks better and and gotten him to an MVP level?
3: I think you saw one of them last week, Lawrence, the second half versus Houston. The ability to adjust the pressure, right? What Houston did in the first half, a lot of pressure on early downs. What they did in the second half, ball out quick. One to two read, see the field, read it out quickly, get the ball out to your playmakers. That's the first thing. Also, I think what they did, this is just like kind of a broad view of it, create more space for Lamar, both vertically and horizontally in the pass game. I
4: was surprised that they were able to run as effectively as they did against zone defenses. Because usually what I'm taught is if they're dropping back to landmarks with eyes on the quarterback, that, that those, those angles are going to close real fast. But they didn't for him. Why? You're talking about zone passing defense? Yeah. That, that, the fact that usually, yeah, you can read the nameplates, take mm-hmm. off and run. But somehow they were able still to have success even when he was trying to work his Is that the stuff that Linderbaum was doing and some of the interior linemen at the second level?
3: I think so. You know, a couple of things there. One, they were able to run the ball effectively, right? More so in the second half. And that's what Baltimore does to you, Dan. They physically wear you down. Okay, so you might have a game at halftime, and I think we did. And obviously, Houston had to get a special teams touchdown for that. But that's part of the football game but you saw in the second half how they wore them down physically on both fronts. And that's what Baltimore is excellent at. In, in terms of your question, the zone run game is a big part of what they do getting to the second level. Obviously you mentioned the interior offensive linemen from Baltimore. Those guys can block on, on gap schemes. They could climb the second level level. They're excellent space at creating defensive angles versus those second level linebackers, but also with Lamar, What he can do, and you saw this. I think this is a big part of this game coming up. Okay, so this is why you blitz Lamar Jackson. There's, I think, a misunderstanding there. It's not to keep him in the pocket as a thrower, because we've seen under Todd Munkin what Lamar has done this year. He's an excellent thrower from the pocket. It's to close the lanes down, right? When you rush Lamar Jackson, you give him daylight, which means an open rush lane. Now you're in real trouble in real trouble. So what does Kansas City do when they blitz? They bring a lot of zero pressure, right? That's no safety help, man-to-man coverage everywhere. And the reason they do that, Dan, is because now there's no open gaps. There shouldn't be, based on the chalkboard, how you line up. I think that'll be a big part of this game from the Chiefs. When do they bring their zero pressure, and why are they doing it? One, yes, you want the route concepts to define quicker. I understand that. But this is more about keeping Lamar in a position where he can't pull the ball down and run.
1: Why has Kansas City been better since they got to the playoffs?
3: A couple of things. One, they're catching the football. Okay, it sounds very simple, but they are. They're making plays at the second and third level of the field. You saw it last week with Valdez Scantling. Okay, he struggled this year. He's had some critical drops. He made plays for them. He had two receptions over 30 yards. Those plays matter when you're playing the Buffalo Bills. Second thing is they can run the football effectively on offense. They're doing that very well right now, especially in early down situations. And also last week, Travis Kelsey okay Travis Kelsey is such a major part of that offense and what he does and they really it wasn't that complicated when you really break it down it was high low okay but it's high low in the outside third of the field they're trying to attack cover two get the corner to sit low and hit Kelsey on those corner routes or hit Kelsey on a sail route which is a three-level flood concept. they did that multiple times to get him involved early in the football game and then you have Patrick Mahomes and Right now, there's no one better inside the pocket in the NFL. Maybe Joe Burrow is up there with him, but Patrick Mahomes is such a great feel for when he needs to slide, move, climb in the pocket, pull the ball down the scramble. He is the best at that right now. So you add in those factors, they're becoming a more complete offense with the ability to attack all three levels of the pass game and also control tempo with the run.
4: I mentioned this early in the week, and it's something I found really interesting, especially in some of what Lawrence is talking about, about linebacker play. But just looking in general, I, I found the contrast of the Lions want to work their passing game out to in, they, mm-hmm. that, where Goff is much more comfortable in breaking routes. Yes. The, the digs and the square ins and even a little bit of, um, I forgot what the name of the combo is, but there was stuff where he's reading these in breakers. And then you watch the Chiefs. And it's the opposite. It's, re- it's reduced formations and everything's blooming outward and everything's going from in to out. So if you know those general tendencies are there, we always talk about leverage. So there, there's a personnel aspect of you know, just how many defensive backs you're going to have and then how to effectively play leverage to keep the, the larger trends of the offense from moving the way they want them to move.
3: I agree. And I think a lot of it is personnel, um, and I agree with you on Jared Goff. Right now, and really, the you know, when he's playing his best football, he's one of the best zone throwers in the NFL. He just is. He anticipates it so fast. He sees it clearly. He throws with location, uh, especially on inbreaking in-breaking concepts, and it's the same thing we just talked about with Kansas City, right, Dan? It's high-low. It's just inside the numbers, and what they're doing is trying to get those linebackers to settle, not get to depth. I you know, this sounds really boring, but if you can get to depth, get to 12 yards as a hook defender, well, you can take away that inbreaker, right? But the problem is they put someone in front of you, correct? So the reason they do that is to hold those linebackers or a strong safety. At the or they freeze level. you with play action enough.
4: Right. Like they, 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 you can do the either your responsibility and coverage or your eyes or both. I agree.
3: And then to the point we we're just talking about, golf doesn't need that much space to make those throws. Uh, and he's got players that are physical over the middle of the field. The modernist St. Browns. San Laporta, those are really the top two targets in the middle of the field. And they catch the football, and they catch the football in high traffic areas, too. Plus, they both have catch and run ability. And that's part of it, too, is the personnel there. Now, going against San Francisco, very defined in what they do. Okay, they're going to be split safe. They're going to be single high zone. You know what they do, but it's, again, the personnel. Because now you have Fred Warner, and Fred Warner is – I think the best linebacker in the NFL, getting to depth, taking away in breaking routes and forcing you to throw the football underneath. And then what you're telling the offense is we'll give you, we'll give you the underneath stick route. How many times are you going to take it? How many times? I dare you to keep throwing it. I dare you. Because eventually you're going to get bored with it. And you're going to throw in the middle of the field. And then we're going to capitalize and make a play.
1: How did the Packers, how were they able to push San Francisco last week? And is Detroit capable of duplicating that?
3: I think they are. If they watch that tape, they really attacked the perimeter in the run game with Aaron Jones, right? And they what they did is they had reduced formations, creating extra gaps, and then that puts the defensive end in conflict. Okay, What I mean by that is the defensive end is going to stay inside over the tackle or the tight end, or is it going to bump out versus a bunch set? And that's always the thing. You, you widen, you reduce the defensive front, or you expand the defensive front. Either way, you're creating gaps on the edge. And what they did off that is – They ran crack toss when they blocked down and pin and they pulled the edge and they had a lot of daylight to attack. I think there was a major part of it. And that's something that Detroit can essentially copy because Detroit has speed on the edge, too. And they have Gibbs out there with the football in his hands. That's one area right there. I think the second thing is, again, going against the zone coverage, as we talked about. But where you attack. Dan, now we're just discussing high-low in the middle of the field. I think you have to attack them outside the numbers as well. Do you have some matchups out there? And especially a player like Jameson Williams, Lawrence, you're going to have to create explosive plays in this football game. You're going to have to get some throws over the top to compete against San Francisco on the road. That's a player I'd look for also.
1: How do you imagine Jim Harbaugh is going to make things work in Los Angeles?
3: Well, I think he walks into a really good situation, obviously, at the quarterback position with Justin Herbert, right? That's the first thing. You have to have that piece in today's NFL. Everyone knows that. Um, I think that roster has some issues. They have a lot of aging pro bowlers, and a lot of players they might have to cut loose uh, because of the salary cap. Now, they do have young talent. They need to get better on the offensive line. They need to get better in the interior of the defensive line. They need to get better at linebackers. There's a lot of areas that team they can improve on. But the key thing is, with his system, which is a pro system, and which he's won at the NFL level with before, is a really good fit for his quarterback and what his quarterback is going to be asked to do, what he's going to be asked to read within the route progression. And that's the starting point for coach Harbaugh is you have that piece. And when Justin Herbert plays at a top level, he is a top five quarterback in this league. What do you think of Shane Waldron? Well, we talked about him before. I, I like to hire. I like to hire. And I know there's a bunch of different names that are out there. I understand that, but Look at where he's coming from in Los Angeles, where he started with Sean McVay, and what are the principles, the foundations of that offense. The run game is a foundational piece. It doesn't mean in terms of volume. It doesn't mean you're running the ball 45 times. It means that's where your offense starts. A lot of reduced formations, a lot of 11 and 12 personnel I would anticipate in Chicago this year. A lot of pre-snap motion and movement, a lot of heavy play action, a lot of defined throws. But it starts with the run game and how you set up that entire offense. And we saw it last year. You're going to need three wide receivers. That's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Shane Walter. What are the bears going to do at wide receiver this offseason? Because really they need a number two and they need a number two badly in, in my opinion, to run this offense correctly.
4: So Vic Fangio parts ways with the dolphins and oh. he's going to Philadelphia. And I'm very interested to see what kind of front he's going to use because knowing that Jalen Carter is like a perfect prototype three technique, mm-hmm. his defense doesn't necessarily need one. I, so I'm, I'm interested to see how flexible he's going to be.
3: Yeah, well, I think he will be, Dan. I, I, look, I think Jalen Carter can play as a five-tech. I do. He has the size to do that. There's no question. He has the, he has the natural strength. To do that, I uh, so I think there is some versatility there with Jalen Carter, but I agree. Um, maybe we de- do see more even fronts from Vic Fanjo based on his personnel. And the first thing they need to do in Philadelphia is address the cornerback position again, aging pro ballers, right? Darius Slay, James Bradbury. James Bradbury really struggled at the end of the season, he struggled in the playoff game because. Uh, declining play speed. We all know that happens to every defensive back when they get to a certain age. So they have to really get better at the second and third level in Philadelphia for that defense to work under Vic. Because we've seen it work at a very high level, especially here. Was that 2018 now, 2018 season? And you have to have the defensive backs. You have to have the linebackers that can match in coverage. And Philadelphia right now does not have that.
1: As a former player and as a coach, were you perplexed by the buccaneers not calling that timeout on third and 12.
3: and then the game yep yeah I was because I think you always give your team another shot always you just never know and probably nothing happens there but you do it just to tell your guys that look we have one more chance let's see let's see you never you you just don't know what can happen in an end of game situation so I, I always believe in you never really cashed in at the end I don't agree with that. Whenever you have timeouts left and there's still uh, one or two plays left in the football game, potentially, you always use them to give your guys a shot. That's
1: kind of how I felt about it, that there's 36 seconds left and you're forcing them into a decision. If nothing else, you force them into either you're going to punt the ball or you're going to try this 50-yard field goal. One of the Mm -hmm. two. And it just seems like that was like – It was like everyone on the field had just kind of agreed the game was over and the coaches kind of just went
3: with it. Right. And especially when you're talking about the kicking game, Uh, the execution needed to kick a field goal or to punt the football has to be upper level in the National Football League or things go south. So you force them to have proper execution. You force them to have proper alignment and assignment. And that gives you a chance.
1: Matt, as always, man, we appreciate the time. All
3: right, guys. Thank you very
4: much. That's Matt Bowen. Always love talking football with him on Thursdays.
1: And I know you wanted to dig a little deeper in some of these matches. What are you shaking your head at? The Texans like, honor between coaches, game was over. The game wasn't over. No, it wasn't. That's the whole point. Jared Goff took the knee too early. Correct. Detroit made a mistake, and it could have been capitalized on. It, is the win percentage high? No, it's super low. But it's not zero. Also, quick aside... Because because you guys were
4: talking about the Chargers and their cap issues, they're going to be minus forty four against the cap projected right now. Minus forty four million against the cap right now. They can save twenty three million dollars if they cut Keenan Allen. What do you guys think about targeting him for the Bears? He's over thirty, but like a two year mm, deal. Yeah, I don't I don't like old whiteouts. That almost never. works. I know he's off her, but it he just got my brain brain going. Yeah, like, maybe? It, it, it it almost never works. I'd, I'd rather they find somebody young and spry and
1: inexpensive and i don't disagree anyway i thought that we'd kind of go around the championship sunday stuff let's
0: do it next t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Vadella is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crownland Port, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Now with the MLB app,
0: you can get baseball your
2: way. Bernstein at Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station.
1: This is the times you dream of as a kid and you grow up, you know, hoping to be
4: in these final games and um, we're one win away from, you know, our ultimate goal of getting to the Super Bowl and, and winning that game as well, but we're where our feet are today and being very present and know this will be a challenge for
0: us this week and, and doing our best.
4: Jared Goff. It won't be the fans chanting his name, making him feel good. It's not going to be the same out there for Dan Campbell's
1: Lions heading into enemy territory. Can I just? I'm having fun with a texter who doesn't get that words mean stuff. What do you mean? This texter, because I was, he's complaining that well, the game was over. So then he goes into this whole thing no, while wasn't. I'm actually reading through the the minutes of the game on the NFL's website, and he says. Mathematically, the game was over no matter what they call a timeout. No, it's the opposite of what you're saying. Mathematically, the game wasn't over. That's the whole point. The game wasn't over. They still had a timeout. Goff and the Lions went too early on their kneel downs. And Tampa Bay still had time on the clock. There were still 35 seconds left. It had they called the timeout on third down. So, no, mathematically, the game wasn't over. Mathematically, it should have been over. Correct, but it wasn't. And he keeps talking about the play clock. The, the, the play clock doesn't matter, sir. If I call timeout, the clock stops. They have to run a play on fourth down, either a punt or a field goal. I just prefer that you not use mathematically when you clearly don't understand mathematics.
4: It wouldn't be a story if the math didn't work out exactly the way he's describing it. That's why it's a story, is because of what is now being understood that they gave up, that they completely seeded when they didn't have, have to, to in a
1: playoff game. Okay. Anyway, it's like, come on, man. Like, I understand that you may think subjectively that the game was over, but objectively it wasn't. And while the win probability was probably less than around 1%, you still had it's that 1% zero. chance of winning in a playoff game, not a preseason game. Where coaches can be like, let's get out of here before anybody gets hurt. We don't want anyone to get hurt. You good? Sweet. Kneel down. All right. See you later. This was a playoff game. That's why people are upset about it. That's why Mike Florio said he
4: would fire the guy over it. A fireable offense is what he said. I thought that was a little much, but that's what he said. So this isn't exactly our solid wall of sound, but it's a way of checking in on these teams that we're going to be seeing and hearing this weekend. So why don't we start with John Harbaugh, and this is a favorite subject of my partner, talking about the play of linebacker Roquan Smith.
3: Yeah, I mean, our scouts do a great job. I think of Joe Ortiz going back and scouting Roquan back at Georgia. You know, those are all in the reports, you know, so you kind of you knew what kind of a guy you were getting for sure. Then you saw him at Chicago and how he conducted himself and how he played. Uh, but you never know until a guy's here exactly how it's gonna fit in, you know, in your chemistry. And uh, it's definitely been right. You know, It's definitely been perfect fit, perfect match. He's just been himself. And uh, uh, you know, he was, he was always a Raven. He just didn't know until he got here, I guess, to quote the great Steve Smith. You know? So uh, it's been a great fit. I think he does make everybody around him better to your point. The greatest players tend to do that, right?
1: Another all-pro season for Roquan Smith. And he, I'm telling you, the the C.J. Stroud-Roquan Smith stuff from last week was gold. It was gold. Like, those two guys yapping at each other throughout the game. Roquan chasing them all over the place, being like, I'm going to get you. It was fun. It wasn't
4: like Gardner Minshew and Max Crosby, was it? (laughs) Because Minshew was like, what's this guy's
1: deal? Well, I mean... (laughs) On the show quarterback that they had, Patrick Mahomes and Max Crosby was fun. Like they've, you know, they Max Crosby's a crazy person. Yes, he is. And he's crazy good too. And Mahomes was like, hey, that's enough of all your little extra stuff. And he it's oh, he always has a shove. So always. So that was one of the beautiful things about that show and Mahomes giving that level of, of transparency. They had talked like you can see the Chiefs talking about, hey, he's going to always have some sort of extra shove or when he's walking back to the huddle, he's going to do something and you have to be prepared for that. So it was Patrick like talking about all of that. And then he got right in Max Crosby's face and he was like, that's enough, big man. Like, I'm out here, too. Like, you don't need the extra – it was really great. Like, those two guys, like, competing against each other. It was the same thing with Roquan and C.J. Stroud. Because C.J. Stroud like, I'm right here. Come If you want some, come get some. And
4: speaking of Patrick Mahomes, he was talking about his uh, favorite tight end and how he's grown.
3: I mean, Travis has always been Travis. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, it's been cool to watch for me um, because – I mean obviously he has all that attention but he's just been himself the whole time. He's still
5: Travis Kelsey. He still will walk walk through the stadium and, and treat every single person like they're his best friend. Um and he's going to be like that in the locker room every single day. Um and so uh, uh it hasn't
3: been any different to me. I've I've come to build him come to work every single day and uh lucky enough that I have a lot of great players around me and Travis is one of them.
1: They really needed him last week to kind of assert himself and I, I think Hang on to the ball. What's cool to me is one of my favorite things about Mahomes and Kelsey is that they're on the same wavelength. Like, they get it. They know, Kelsey knows what to do inside of a route. Well, they run
4: a lot of option routes, too, where they have to be on the same page, where he mm-hmm. can he can break it inside or outside.
1: But the beautiful thing about this past weekend was that now Rashi Rice is starting to get it. And that's dangerous because he's pretty good. But he's starting to understand, oh, they're in a zone. Look, why would I run over there? Patrick's not expecting you to run over there. He's expecting you to stop or at least throttle down a little bit. And it worked on multiple occasions last week. So if you can get a, a receiver to be on the same page as Patrick Mahomes, like that's that that's important because now you can attack on different levels of the game. It just shows that he was paying attention and learning. Like, instead of kind of drifting through this season, he's like, oh, okay, I got it. You want me to do that now? I'm not supposed to just do what's on the dry erase board. So the opposite of Kadarius
4: Tony, who couldn't figure out what to do on the dry erase board and hasn't really evolved to figure out what's happening in front of him.
1: Or check with the referee. Or check to see if
4: you're onside. Because <laughs> you're not. When we had Matt Bowen on, we were talking about defending Jared Goff, and Matt Bowen was discussing how good Goff is against zone defense, especially in the middle of the field. Well, Niners coach Kyle Shanahan talked about defending him. You go with Jared, I mean, he blew for a number of years, especially, you know, I think 17, 18, really 18. I mean, he played at MVP type level. Um, when Jared's um, when they give him a good scheme when he's got good people around him. Um, Jared's going to always find the spot. He's as accurate as any quarterback I've seen. Um, he can
0: play at a very top level. If you sit and make things easy for him, um, he will gash you. I've seen it over and over, whether he's with the Rams, whether he's with Detroit, and um, that's why you challenge it. You better be on your stuff or he can
4: embarrass you fast. Find the spot. That's a really good way of describing what he does.
1: He finds the spot and puts the ball in the spot. When Matt was talking about, him as an improved quarterback this year, like how quickly he gets rid of the ball and throws th- throws the ball and the anticipatory quarterbacking from Jared Goff, because Jared Goff, like he doesn't have like a rocket arm and he's not mobile, he can kind of get away and is is mobile enough slide in the a pocket, little bit, right? Do the Drew Brees stuff a little bit, but but his on time throwing and the accuracy of his on time throwing. Is what I think has made him has allowed him to to resurrect a little bit in Detroit to make him more than to do all the things that the folks in Detroit were hoping that he would do. He's done that, and I it's it's fun to watch. But if you can mess up his timing, if you can get him off the spot, you got. And the Bears saw that. the The Bears did maybe the most effective job against Jared Goff this season on making him uncomfortable and once he's uncomfortable he he will give you the football dan campbell
4: also had thoughts and his team on the road in a different environment has to block out the noise i mean here we are this is the biggest issue right now i mean most time i come in here and there's what i don't know 20 of you now there's a whole packed room people i don't even recognize And that's what our players are dealing with. It's all the extra attention outside of the norm. That's the issue. It's not the opponent. It has its own issues uh, that we'll deal with, but it's all the outside attention and where they're getting pulled from every area. You know, you got friends, you got family reaching out. Well, unbelievable, you guys are here again. What are you going to blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, you're such a phenomenal player. You know, you, you're a phenomenal coach. You're a phenomenal G. And pretty soon, it, if you forget that it, it's us, And it's about about the team, you know? Um, I think that's always a challenge this time of year when you get in these type of games and settings.
1: Wait till you get to the Super Bowl if you get there. you imagine? This is nothing. Yeah, but for a franchise that hasn't had to deal with this in 30 years, you have to prepare them. He's played in playoff games and big games. You have to prepare them for... I'd do the Norman Dale and and you'd head it's out to still, Hinkle Fieldhouse
4: House and do the measurements and it's still a hundred yards.
1: I mean, I imagine well this season with the Lions, maybe there are more people covering them, but on a daily basis, like I, I think that's I think he's being generous with twenty, and I think you're adding in the photogs and stuff. You know what I mean? Not the folks that are asking you questions. Some people I don't even recognize. That's what was cool about
4: about the the Bulls were just like so used to it when you get to the finals and the international stuff and everybody said they were just they knew the drill and they're like, All right, now it's time. I've got three people from Japan who are all asking me the same question. It was like it was You old, almost old have hat to like
1: go them. go over your journey. Because there are national people who have obviously been covering the NFL and what's going on with the Lions, but you're maybe speaking to a new audience. Mm -hmm. So, hey, why is Jared Goff good? Or, hey, what did you see in Aiden Hutchinson that made you want to draft him? Like that sort of stuff. Like those are the stories. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with success? It's a part of this thing. What, how are you going to handle extra questions and scrutiny about your team? And we'll see. When we come back, we have a,
4: a thought that I found really interesting regarding the White Sox stadium proposal that echoed something that our expert guest said last week. So I think it's worth bringing that up because that story just like went crazy and then kind of receded. But there, it doesn't mean people aren't still thinking about it or there aren't still things actually going on behind the scenes.
1: Yep. So let's talk about the 78 and the White Sox next on The Score.
2: You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, midday's 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score.
1: Well, nobody's made an ask yet, so uh, having said that, uh, I think you know my views about, uh, you know, privately owned teams, and uh, you know whether the public should be paying for. Private facilities that will be used by private businesses. Having said that, I mean there are things that government does to support business all across the state, investing in infrastructure, making sure that we're, uh, you know, supporting the uh, success of business in Illinois. So, uh, you know, as with all of the other, whether it's sports teams or or other private businesses, we'll be looking at whatever they may be suggesting or asking
4: got to figure out JB Pritzker's sound alike it's making me crazy there there's a there's a definitive sound alike in there and i it's it, it's Les grobstein no stop it's not no there, but there there is there's somebody there i'll i'll, I'll get it and it's going to come to me at the at the Paul wor- Giamatti at the worst possible time no no <sighs> i'll i'll get it um so I found this interesting. I, I always enjoy getting a look at the newsletter from former Tribune columnist Eric Zorn. It's called The Picayune Sentinel. Wesley Snipes. And he's He's got great stuff about the, uh, the Roscoe Village residents who have had it with the rat hole, and, and it's probably time to pave it over because the silliness has gotten out of hand there. It really is bad. It's really It's ridiculous. How about a little
1: joy for for people?
4: It's enough. A little joy is fine. It is getting incredibly disruptive. Okay. It really is. So he noted here that Brandon Johnson says talks with White Sox ownership were very positive regarding the construction of a new stadium on the near south side. And Zorn writes, I conditionally approve of the idea of building a new stadium for the White Sox in the now vacant area known as the 78. It's an idea that sprang up seemingly out of nowhere recently. But first, no significant taxpayer subsidies to give this private business a venue. We were ripped off 30 years ago when we paid for the new home of the White Sox, and now they want to abandon it. Second, it's got to have a dome, preferably retractable for year-round concerts. I would say we were also ripped off by Soldier Field, too. But said Concerts, rodeos, monster truck rallies, other major events. And third the socks have to come up and with and finance a plan to repurpose and or redevelop guaranteed rate field and the parking lots that surround it. Aha! Uh-huh. We don't want to
1: swap one huge swath of vacant land for another. I think that that's a really well-made point by Eric Zorn, and it was the point that was made by our guy, Lee Bay.
0: The thing that got me was, I thought, okay, great. I knew because a new stadium would have the, the, the skyline behind it, a new neighborhood around it, all those things. Then I thought, well, guaranteed Rate Field, White Sox Park, surrounded by 70 acres of parking, you could keep that stadium and build you know, a neighborhood there. And and, and the, the Sox have been resistant to that, although it's publicly owned. The Illinois Sports Facilities Authority owns the stadium, but Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, basically has say so what does and doesn't happen in those parking lots. I, I thought, why not improve what's there, uh, as opposed to going to build another stadium and then having to worry about what what to do with the one that's left behind. As citizens, both of
1: us are residents of the city of Chicago. I guess I wasn't forward thinking enough to to really like delve into the idea of. Should the White Sox be allowed to abandon 35th and Shields? And I'm using the word abandon on purpose. While many neighborhoods in Chicago are trying to build themselves up, isn't this a blow to Bridgeport if it's just a vacant lot of land and an eyesore west of the Dan Ryan? I'll wait for your response.
4: I would think that the White Sox could. It's not going to be the Bears. Like nobody's going to swoop in and do this. Because every time I drive by there, and I, I think about what else is happening in Chinatown, and we always talk about what's happening in Bridgeport. That it's you. You've got the infrastructure there to make that some. It doesn't have to be a sports venue. No, it doesn't. What What happened to? And I know that's not an, a. a why can't you extend Armour Square Park? know this city doesn't have enough parkland as it is. For me, that's an easy default for open land is public park space. Think about what you could do for public park space. It's one thing I, I love about Palmasano Park that is all, and the, the number of, of people from Chinatown who are there, you know, Ping Tom Park, and the, the people who want to, get outside and walk and sit. And we have the picnics up there. It does Not everything has to be some sort of reimagined commercial boondoggle.
1: And the cool part is as much as we talk about the the new stadium with the skyline, if you were to knock stuff down over there at 35th and Shields and make a park like you're talking about, it would have a wonderful view of Chicago. Because like, that's one of the views you get when you're coming down Out of guaranteed rate field, when you're walking down the ramps from the 500 level, you get to see how beautiful the city is from from that point of view. I wonder if how responsible should the White Sox be in this? Do do the White Sox before there's any sort of approval by the city and the aldermans of the wards that the the place is going into. Does there have to be some sort of agreement in place of, oh, well, we're going to blank with 35th and Shields, or we recommend that it's turned into blank. I I guess I don't know what the responsibility of the White Sox should be in that, but considering your longstanding relationship with that neighborhood in particular, you can't just leave it. You can't just say, well, it's a summer concert venue now. Or whatever. Although that would be kind of cool. So I wonder why they haven't really drawn anything over there. Cause if, if you're if you're like a medium stadium act, that's a that's a decent place to do stuff. And now with the way that like the South Loop has been built up as far as like where to stay, I wonder why there aren't more concerts there. I mean, I get that it's not historic like Wrigley, but if you can't do sixty thousand at Soldier Field, but you you maybe be able to do thirty thousand over on Thirty Fifth and Shields, you can get Gabriel Iglesias over there.
5: It's not for a lack of parking. I'll tell you that there's a lot of parking, right?
1: That's true. Yeah, you're right. But uh, person on Twitch Chance did do a festival there once,
5: and there hasn't been much other than that. Other than well, they you know.
1: they did the, I thought it was, they did two things that were super cool. And I'm guessing that they didn't see a real ROI on it because they haven't tried to do it again. They did a Northern Illinois football game there that I went to and it was awesome. And they did fights there.
5: Oh, I didn't realize the fights. Okay. Yeah,
1: they, they did boxing matches there and it was, it was really cool, I thought, event for that. But it wasn't like the place was packed. I, I kinda thought it was kind of one of those like trial balloon things that the White Sox were doing. Like, oh well what would this look like? Let's 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 see what this looks like. And for the college football game I thought it was pretty cool.
5: Well, you know, college maybe college football or you know, like like We have plenty of boxing. sports venues, though. We yeah, have, yeah, but like concerts. Plenty. That's what I don't get. Concerts are a moneymaker, right? Yeah, like, but that's I the thing I don't but get. see, the, the
4: concert venues that are, that are awesome are these mid-sized to small ones. The Salt Shed, Thalia Hall. But people have a good time at Wrigley. Yeah, like those concerts a, go yeah, off. They do, but it's but if it wasn't Wrigley, you wouldn't describe that as a great concert venue. Yeah, like the, the backdrop is,
1: for it is great. Yeah, and,
4: the whole atmosphere is great. The convenience is great. The sounds okay.
1: I've been to a lot of
4: concerts. Well, they've
1: they've vastly improved.
4: It, it has gotten better.
1: It has gotten better. Their audio video stuff over there at Cubs, and at White Sox, it's fine too. I, but but I I do want to. I think it's a good point raised by Lee Bay and echoed by Eric Zorn that you can't just let the White Sox be like, all right, well we're done, yeah, we're with leaving, this. and
4: here's this, and you have this whole white elephant
1: that's just good sit luck there. with all of that. That you can't do that. The, there does there has to be a real plan of what happens next over there before you would give them the approval of yeah, let's build this new thing
4: out for you. Several people have weighed in for my sound alike on Prisker saying it's Scott Boris. What about Scott Boros? <laughs> Different guy. No, that's that's not bad, but I don't think
5: that's who was I, in my I head. got it. I already got it. Peter King. I think Ooh. you're in a tough
4: spot when you're when you go out and
1: talk to guys without firing your coach. Well nobody's made an ask yet so uh having said that uh, I think you know my views about uh you know privately No, Private nope that's, oh, that's, come not, on.
4: that's not bad. I don't think Scott Boris is it either. I'll i I'll get it it will come to me. It will come to me. It A actually said reschedule Vanilla Ice. <laughs> it's sort of like it took me forever to figure out that Fred Hoiberg reminded me of Kevin Tappany.
1: That that <laughs> concert didn't go off because that was the
5: shooting, yes, right? Yes, that
4: was the night. Right, yes, that was the night of the woman and the... And we
1: were going to go, weren't we?
5: We were talking about we're talking it. We were talking about We were go in go Vegas. Is, well, we ended up being in Vegas. Otherwise, we right, probably would have gone. Only because we
1: wanted Brooks to be the hype man for it. It was Vanilla Ice and who else? Tone Loke? That's Cone right. Loke, Tone, yeah. there was someone else. And it didn't happen because someone got shot. We, we think. And the no. Sox were just vaguely like, "Oh, sorry,
4: this isn't happening. We're going to
1: keep playing this game, yeah. Rob. But, Bates. but we're, we're going to we cancel the concert. Yeah, we're going
4: to cancel the concert because of an emergency. But we we're going to play the game. But the concert, no.
5: Vanilla uh, Ice, Rob Base, Tone look.
1: That's right. Hmm. No DJ Easy Rock. No. Well, he hasn't been with us for a while. No, so no. I was, I was he, expecting he was going to show up though. It, it would have been quite the miracle. It had. DJ Easy Rock had been there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but it takes two though. Doesn't take one. Well, I'm sure someone was DJing for him. We just don't know who it was. Maybe it was the same person who was DJing for Vanilla Ice. Ninja, Ninja.
4: Championship Sunday's almost here. You can listen to both games free with the Odyssey app. Tune in Sunday. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs take on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens in the AFC title game. Coverage begins at 1 on the score, and then the 49ers host the Lions in the NFC Championship kickoff at 5.30. The game will air on WBBM News Radio, 780 a.m. due to Bulls basketball. Take the NFL playoffs wherever you go with 670 the score and the free Odyssey app. Jason Leisure covers the Bears and will join us next on the score.